Greg Dutch is sitting across from me. Hey, hey. Greg, we just did a uh, podcast without Trogi, which is double. We're doing another uh, bonus today um, with uh, good friend Nathan. Who is? Uh, we're going to talk about all things Oscars. Got to tell you, I'm super excited about this one more so than last year for a couple reasons. One, we did uh, we did an Oscars one with uh, Jeff Kratz last year. Oh, that's right. But he um, he didn't, he didn't watch even it. see it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but we have uh, Nathan back, uh, who is our uh, movie critic friend. And uh, Nathan and I actually watched it last night together uh, with with our wives. Awesome. And um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So this is going to be good. Nathan, how are you doing tonight? I am doing well. Again, uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, I feel kind of nice. I'm always the bonus episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You are, but that is – and tonight you're part of a double bonus episode. That's right. Which is going to be awesome. Yeah, so uh, d- totally looking forward to the uh, double when it's released to you guys. I think you guys are really going to love it. We're not um, we're not releasing our our main episode yet. What we're doing yeah. for that because uh, we're keeping that under wraps, under hush hush. Um, so you guys are just going to have to wait till tomorrow night till that one's released. But we are super excited about that one as well. Um, but before we go any further, Greg, he's struck again. Yeah, he did, and um, you know we're here with Nathan Barlaball. Mm-hmm. Nathan, we love having you on, man, as always, and um, this is our third one. We have a caller who calls in sometimes. Um, he gets inside information. Nathan and I keep our product under tight wrap. Somehow. We're still blaming Dave Shy for this although one. Although he denied it when I asked him. Remember when he was here a week or two ago? He said it wasn't him, but I, I mean, come on, if the shoe fits. Um we have a guy who calls in. He is a reverend. He's a very respected reverend um, who calls in sometimes. He gets information on what we're going to talk about. And uh, he left me a message today, or not me, but on our TGT11 uh, voicemail. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you hear it, man, because we, we play every message we get. So here so is. So is uh, this caller or heckler? Well, um, or troll. Yeah. What should we? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna let you determine based on this little message that he leaves here. So uh, here we go. Oh, so uh, Reverend James King uh, from the James King King James Bible believing teaching preaching ministries. I'm gonna get right to it, friends. I'm not wasting any time tonight. Oh, I have girded up my loins Old Testament style with a double granite knife and a dab of Vaseline. <laughs> Of course, a generous helping of Old Spice aftershave before calling into this godforsaken show tonight. Friends, just when I think these fools can't go past the point of no return, they continue to shock me. That's right. They've invited some third party on tonight, some fancy-schmancy film critic. Uh, his name here is so complicated, I can't even pronounce Nathan uh, 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 Nathan Bumblebee. I don't know what his name is, friend. Oh, what I do know is that he's a fool. Oh. He's coming on the show tonight. Got Donald to Trump on the show. Some of the good that comes out of Hollywood movies, friends. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. In fact, I want to warn you about something these three apostates won't warn anybody of. That is just recently, because of my own godly eye to detail, I've picked up on a plot that most of you aren't even aware of, friends. That's right. The other night I was thumbing through my subscription to Good Housekeeping. Now, now the only reason I keep that magazine is to properly understand the extent to which Satan has so thoroughly perverted the thoughts and minds of this world. 
Well, after after reviewing several admittedly excellent articles on colon cleansing, <laughs> I turned the page and there I saw Hollywood elite's face, just as pretty as ever, without a spot of shame on that fruity little face. That's right, friends. I'm talking about a man so evil, so vile. You can even tell his vile nature by his name. He he hasn't even been able to change it much. Matt Damon. Friends, you know his real name is Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, friends, when I saw it, I quickly retrieved several implements of Christian warfare I'd gotten from my local Christian bookstore. Uh, the helmet of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and other products you'll be glad to know are made right here in the U.S. of A. like God intended <laughs> Oh, friends, I had to be restrained by the Lord himself from throwing that magazine back into the pit of hell from whence it came. (laughs) See, friends, let me tell you what's going on. See, Bible-believing Christians know, King James Christians know, (laughs) that the Lord created this earth uh, in 4004 B.C. (laughs) And ever since that time, Satan has been strategically building up an army on his red planet. What the heathens refer to as Mars. (laughs) Well, it seems Mr. Damon Demon is no longer even bothering to hide his role as an agent in Satan's army. Because he admits with glee to have recently visited that filthy planet. (laughs) Apparently filmed some kind of documentary about it that got all sorts of awards at the Oscar Mayer Weenie show last night. Well, he returned from that vile planet without so much as a scratch on his Hollywood fanny. Now, friends, we all know that travel to... Other celestial planes has been banned ever since they tried it back at the Tower of Babel. Bible-believing Christians know that was the spaceship that the Lord had to destroy. Oh, friends, what a glorious sight that must have been. See the Lord come down from heaven hopping mad. Made those fools start speaking all kinds of goofy languages like French and Portuguese. <laughs> but somehow, Mr. Damon Demon is in the TSA pre-approved line for the devil's playground. Apparently, he's talking about making another trip back there and filming another documentary. Now, friends, I'm hoping against hope there might be one genuinely saved person out there tonight in this audience. I doubt it, but I'm holding out hope. (laughs) One who has ears to hear what the King James Bible says. And I say to that person, pray with me. Pray that the Lord will interfere with Matt Demon Damon's next trip to Mars and send him right around that planet to another destination. That's right. Let us pray that Matt Damon is sent deep into Uranus so far that he never returns. Now, friends, remember the Lord tarried 1,600 years before providing us with an accurate Bible. May he not tarry so long, sending Matt Demon. Deep into Uranus. It can happen, friends. <laughs> and all the Hollywood elite can be crushed. That's enough for James King tonight. You can find me at the James King King James Bible-believing, teaching, preaching ministries. Wow, man. He, I, I, have you ever heard of that mad, Nathan? No, I, Did no, I just get hazed? <laughs> Dude, I, I'm sorry, Nathan. I mean, you're our guest, and I, I don't know, again, where this guy gets this information. I'm so glad we're not talking about John Carter. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people are glad we're not talking about John Carter. <laughs> Dude, but I mean, he, he does give you something to think about. You know, the Damon Demon. I've never seen that connection before. Very... I, I think that phone call came from Mars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was very spelled out is all I'm saying. You know, just something to think about. But anyway, he hasn't called for a while, so it's always good to hear from the Reverend James King. Well, Chris Carter goes back for season 11 of the X-Files. <laughs> yeah. He needs to call this guy. <laughs> yeah. The Tower of Babel did feature yeah. in one of the recent episodes. 
That's funny. Oh, goodness. Um, so, Oscars. I, yes. I need to get focused again. I know. I, it, <laughs> yeah, good luck. It's hard to find our way. So, uh, this is neat, though. Like you said, last year, our good friend Jeff Krause was on, didn't yep. watch the Oscars. Hard to do a show about the Oscars with a dude that didn't watch it. Yeah. I would love to know, and I'm going to put you, Mr. What did he call it? Bumblebee or Bartleball? Right on the spot. Um, well, I got to say, there was a lot of uh, non-factual information in that phone call because the Martian didn't win any awards yeah, last that's, night. That's true. <laughs> that's the most egregious thing that's about that. That's true. Anyway. It didn't win anything. That's, uh, that's a very good point. Uh, I, I thought it would be cool. I wanted to ask you about Chris Rock. I know we're mainly going to talk about movies. Um, uh, it's hard to talk about him last night without the racial stuff because that was such a – a, a key theme from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Right, I thought, yeah. oh, maybe there'll be a few jokes at the beginning. Uh, boy, that was the entire undercurrent in that entire Oscars last night from his uh, vantage point. But what did you think of his job? I'm just curious. Well, he was he was in a difficult place, yeah. although it's probably better that he was already slated to do the Oscars when that happened. It would have probably been even more awkward, per se, with somebody else in there. Mm-hmm. Um he came right out of the gate like yep. we expected. Um, did he go overboard? He did, but I think that was part of his his intent and his point. And I think in that opening, really contained to that opening, he did was trying to provide a context, even in the Chris Rock sort of way, right. you know. Um, and he immediately was getting everybody riled up, you know what right. I mean? It wasn't simply, you know, the and the statement about Hollywood being racist, he's really... Not wrong, you know. I I don't believe. I mean, we could have a debate about that, but some of what he said there does merit, I think, consideration. Uh, I thought that that was really the catharsis in terms of like he had handled it, he had sort of pulled it together, and I thought that they could potentially have gone away from that at this point. Yeah, I suspect that because of how big of an issue it was being made out to be. Uh, that he really felt he couldn't just kind of let it go, you know. Because right. the next day the headlines are Chris Rock, you know. He he throws he, he, the Hollywood guys get up there, they take their lumps, and then they move on and they have their show. Right. And now I'm not arguing that that's the way it should have been. That they should have just been lambasted the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his point that you know we've got 88 of these and probably 70, 71 or 77 of them were probably the same exact situation that we're in. Right. You know, right. in this scenario, and he. And in boiling it down to say we want more opportunities, I think that's essentially really what people are trying to to say with it. Now, outside of that, I thought he did a a relatively decent job in the sense that he wasn't even present the way a lot of the presenters have been in the past, meaning that he wasn't front and center for the entire Oscar show, really. And he receded a lot more than I thought he might. Um, He had a few – and actually I thought some of his – if you want to get down for anybody who watched it, if you want to get down to the points uh, that were there that maybe were making the most uh, sense or truth, if you will, were two things that weren't really the two bits I enjoyed the most. One was sort of a rehash of something he did in 2005, which is where he was out front of the Compton Theater interviewing these yeah, people yeah, about the movies. Yeah. And, of course, was it was funny. very slanted with he's, he's interviewing these um, – Movie patrons, many of them black, and many of them clearly not in the upper echelon Hollywood. They're not in the same financial or anything other bracket. You know, right. it's very clear. And these people are like, I don't even know what half of these movies are. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it would have been interesting. You know, 
if he if they you know if they're asking them well what was the last Spike Lee movie you even saw you know because right. I suspect that it's not just the white movies that right. that most of these people didn't see and I don't think it would necessarily be true of the theater there in Compton you could probably honestly go outside of White Marsh you know movie theater uh-huh. or up here in uh, the Regal and stand outside and some of these people might say the same thing and so really what he sort of showing there is there is there's still a disconnect by what essentially for 88 years has been just an insider trade trade awards really you know what i mean like this is the academy is the filmmakers and the movie uh, not the moviegoers at all but the filmmakers and the art actors and everybody it's them kind of congratulating themselves there and that's really what we've been doing for you know it's just watching the industry award itself and yet it's still such a big thing, I think partially because for so many years the mystique of movie stars, particularly in the 50s and the 60s and 70s, yeah. was such that the Oscars were more about these people's lives who we cannot, we can never be or we can aspire mm-hmm. to be and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so for all of these years, they're pointing out something that's just been true for a long time, which is there's a general disconnect between what your average movie go or even someone who may be very uh, – versed in movies or goes to movies often compared to what is being touted as the movie of the year or right. whatever, you know, right. with this group of people picking the best picture and you have people are like, you know, what's a Cape Blanchett? And that's probably <laughs> not true. Most of us, but that was funny and showing a bit of a disconnect, but it also pinpointed something else is the Oscars have, I believe. And I think are, are indicated by not just the ratings, but sort of the general feeling on this is they are becoming a little bit irrelevant. And I, even though it seemed like such a snafu for everyone to point out that the Oscars were, you know, whiter than ever or, or however you want to say it, and uh, probably the Oscars themselves, you know, the Academy Awards people, maybe somewhere in the back of their minds, were just relieved that somebody still thought enough of the Oscars to want to boycott them. Right. And, uh, or that that might actually, you know, uh, result in something that would generate some interest. And yet I personally think that that bit and then rock kind of commandeering the Oscars to sell his kids, Girl Scout cookies, which I'm sure was his shtick before the the, the racing came up was maybe kind of the best bit because it is sort of showing how, you know, we watch all night long. People come up here and commandeer the stage for whatever, for their own agenda and their own purpose. And so to have a guy here is just going to straight up say, I want to sell my kids Girl Scout cookies. Even as a shtick, I thought was, was probably a better commentary on the whole thing than almost anything else that he he did. Um, Seeing Tracy Morgan as the Danish girl was a, was a highlight. So funny. But at the same time, bringing Chris Rock out there, to sort of continue to bang on, and not that it doesn't bear uh, contemplation, and even you know among Christians' mm-hmm. contemplation about the the race relations in our country, and and as represented in something like the Academy Awards, because there is a point when it, who really cares? It's the Academy Awards, but it's just indicative of mm-hmm. of how things are on a lot of different levels. Yet, I think the Academy missed an opportunity. They get up there, they have Chris Rock, sort of manage the whole racism in America is the black experience versus the white experience. Mm -hmm. And yet, and we have Tracy Morgan and we have Whoopi Goldberg and, you know, 
uh, coming out. But where you know where West Studi and where is uh, where's Cliff Curtis? Where's uh, Jason Scott Lee? Where are these actors of Chinese descent right. or uh, Ephraim Khan of Indian descent? Mm-hmm. These people have no more opportunities really. In a lot of cases, less. Uh, look yeah. at um, Michael Pena, who is an excellent, excellent actor. Mm-hmm. He's been in. I, four or five of Oscar-nominated movies. He was in Crash, which won in 2005. Right. He was in, he did a really good job in that movie, which I'm not really that much a fan of. But he's a great actor, and he was relegated to playing sidekick in Ant-Man over the right. summer. You know? That's true. And yet, I mean, he has the skill. He has the ability. He could be there, too. And yet they pretty much ignored any... It was just the black and white sort of mm. scenario. And I think in some ways that was easier because... To go any further would to expose the hole or the wound, yeah. in a sense, even bigger. And I think that that's where they miss the opportunity to also discuss that these awards are still at some level about merit. It kind of casts a pall on everyone who's there to get an award. And really, there were some people who did some excellent work. So to spend the whole time talking about how there were all these people, you know, there was no real talk about people that maybe deserved it. You know, the, the people that were in the audience that did, you, you know, or not in the audience, but in the nominated mm-hmm. uh, choices that deserved it. There was also one of the things that I think when you want to look at the glass half full, and this is not to discount any of the race element, but I was a little surprised that there wasn't a more of an emphasis put on the fact that of the eight nominees for Best Picture, three of them featured strong female leads and were actually female stories. That's mm-hmm. to say that the movie Room... With, which Brie Larson won for, yeah. is really a, a, is a strong female character, is a really female-focused story. Brooklyn, which is a, a great movie with, with Saoirse Ronan, a strong female focus. And then the high-octane action movie of the year, yeah. with, yeah. where the main yeah. character takes a side seat to a story about a woman who is trying to rescue and emancipate mm-hmm. five other women yeah. uh, from a place of sexual slavery – you know, Mad Max Fury Road, nobody expects a fourth movie like that to be about that sort of thing. And yet it was kind of all glossed over, I felt yeah. like. You know, that there is a there's an element of a win there, you know what I mean? Um in how the the roles that are available for, for women or the fact that we are making some headway or progress there. I mean, that's kinda how I see it. And yet there was an there's so much of that emphasis on the the negative element where if they had banged on about that and then sort of moved on yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I just felt that they missed the opportunity to really expand that and really examine it. Yeah. yeah. So what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Greg? Yeah, I uh I think you made some really, really good points there, Nathan. I think the uh the issue with uh other races, other ethnicities w- was fascinating. Uh I read a few things on Twitter and Facebook uh today about um races. Whenever you tackle race, it's not as simple as a black and white issue. You know, there are very few mm-hmm. black and white cities uh, where there may have been at one time uh, in our country's history, but for the most part, you have pockets of various ethnicities. Um, so I think it's hard to uh, address. My, my, my take, here's my more simplistic take. I was telling you guys this earlier, and I'll share it with the audience now. This is uh, the useless guesswork portion of the podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> this is a bonus episode. We're having some fun, and right. um, I want to be uh, laying all my caveats out. Uh, I'm not uh, seeking to uh, say I have omniscient knowledge of what's inside Chris Rock's heart. Um, and this is a minor observation. I thought, stylistically, the first 30 minutes when mm-hmm. he was speaking, he seemed off his game. 
And I uh, asked Lisa at one point, I said, you know, does he, does he seem off his game? Not that he had massive stammering or stuttering, but I felt like he, I've, I've heard him so many times. And one of the things that grabs you about Chris Rock is he's so fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, he can go from topic to topic to topic very easily, very conversationally. And I felt there was a lot of, you know, uh, um, you know like he, he was taking these little running starts. So this is me psychoanalyzing Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. So uh, throw this out if it's completely worthless. Is it that the subject matter that is hanging over him uh, throughout that entire night, which obviously was the subject of race, um, equal opportunities, as Nathan has just well said, uh, you know, for actors of all color, all all stripes, uh, did that throw him off his game a little bit? Uh, and I, I'm sure knowing some of the jokes he was going to tell, particularly when he was dealing with lynchings and that sort of thing, were going to push the envelope, mm-hmm. possibly not just to the edge, but right off the table. You know, I just wondered, did that um, trip him up a little bit? Because normally Chris Rock is the Energizer Bunner. You just wind him up. He's free to talk about whatever he wants. He kind of had to address this mm. in light of how much media coverage there was. So you're, you're getting Chris Rock and all of his humor and all of his skill set with a burden on him that might normally not be there. That was just my thought. Because Lisa a couple of times said, I don't know. He's just not very good. He had a few good lines. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like some things fell flat. Um, or didn't quite uh, resonate maybe the way he had hoped. I mean, that's just my passing observation. What about you, Nathan? Yeah, I um, I, I remember thinking that last night as well, that um, th- there was something that felt a little forced initially. Uh-huh. Um, and as, as the night progressed, I think he relaxed into it. Um, I don't know if it was just kind of a – resignation. I'm, you know, I'm here. I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got to tell these jokes or sure. whatever it is. Um, but, but he did seem to relax into it. Um, and, and it got better. He got, he got better. Maybe it was just nerves or whatever at the beginning. Yes. Um, but no, I agree. I think there was, there was something slightly off. Um, and, and you know me, Greg, uh, if you go back and listen to last year's, uh, podcast, my, my biggest, um, issue is, um, you know, how, how do we stop making race an issue? Right. You know, and, and my, my biggest pet peeve, I had somebody, you know, asking me, um, this before, you know, how do, how do we, how do we quit making race an issue? Right. I think now I'm going to get a little political here. I think political correctness is one thing that's killing America Uh with, with all sorts of topics and issues. I think if we can get over that hump, it'll stop being an issue. Yeah. Because once you once you realize that people who are douchebags are going to be douchebags, <laughs> then equal opportunity. Yeah, then, then of all uh, colors and backgrounds. That's absolutely. right. Yeah. You know, and, and it doesn't matter what their color is, what their race is. It that's who they're going to be. Okay, right. you're going to let them be that, and whatever they say isn't going to bother you. Mm-hmm. And and you're free then to move on to finding friends and people who you enjoy. Right. And it, again, it doesn't matter what color they are. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's one thing. I think another thing is, um, in part, I think we need to stop talking about it and blasting it on social media. Uh-huh. Um, what happened at the Academy Awards and, you know, Nathan, last night you and I were talking about this um, on and off as we were watching it. Um, I, I think, yeah, there's a problem with it. Yeah. And I think something needs to be done about it. I don't necessarily need to know about it. and. I don't need to care about it because it's not affecting me in any way, shape or form. So right. telling me that there's an issue with this 
doesn't do you any good in right. fixing the issue. Right. Um, and so I think there is a time and a place to talk about it and to talk about it appropriately. And in regards to the to the Oscars and what's going on, I think that that conversation needs to be done internally and and where you just beat it to death like we've been saying throughout yeah. the whole night. Yeah. You know, you bring it up, you address it. Okay, cool, great. You you did what you were supposed to do, but then to just drag it out, I, I thought got a little redundant and old. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I thought it. I don't know if you felt that Nathan number 2. Um I thought I'm it, the number 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough one. What do we do when Nathan's our guest? Does that make him number one by default? And you're number yeah, two? Yeah, we'll just make him number thing one. Thing one, thing two. That's going to be the um, bonus, we, Nathan. We can't, we, we can't call him Nathan B, B. because I'm Nathan. You guys have really killed us with that, man. You have. Um, just call me Bart. Yeah. Bart. One, one-eyed Bart or something. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed at one point like, wow, this is, this is going to be the theme all night long yeah. whenever there's an opportunity to address it. And it does sometimes feel, I don't know. Maybe forced, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of like you know the the that that horse has been beaten, right? You know, two hours ago, uh, you it's know, glue by this point, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> did you did you feel that way, Nathan? Yeah, and I and I kind of alluded to that if they they started that way and then they kind of say their piece, um, but it's never going to be quite like that, and right. it's a difficult. It's a difficult situation, I think, because again, what you basically have is an awards show where they're coming out, and you know, Chris Rock, the people he's addressing, the people in the room, you know, are really also the people at some level that are involved in this, yeah. you know, and both, and and Rock has made these statements in inter, I mean, interviews last year, even 2014, I, I think, seem to remember that he uh, had kind of come under fire for for saying, you know, that that white people really did need to own slavery, even though it was their ancestors that were involved, you know, statements that could be potentially inciting. He had reasons for saying them, but you know, he, he's not a stranger, obviously to these race conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there is this expectation, you know, okay, Chris Rock's guy is going to come in here and have to clean this up. So to speak, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the show itself. Yeah. So the Oscars are going on. You've got this idea of people blacklisting people, but at the same time, they are they're they're being much more um, aware of who they're putting up on screen. I mean, when was the last time we saw Lou Gossett Jr.? I was glad to see him. I didn't I know. know even, sure, I was, I know. it started a conversation with Nathan. I remember yeah. in the movie Enemy Mine with uh, Dennis Quaid, oh, where, yeah. where he played the alien. Uh, I remember, and that. I want to go back and, and rewatch. I was yeah. good to see. It was legitimately good to see him. Yeah, and I enjoyed the line because you can't have those. You have diabetes, no. you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but in the beginning yeah. of the show, it there felt like there was this expectation. Here he's here. He's got to handle this, and it's. It's funny because again he kind of I think got caught up in that and then he has to deliver something he's got to he's got to be you're basically in a sense it's kind of like you know you got the two friends it's like come oh, I'm, I'm sorry I accidentally kissed a girl you get one free hit go ahead you got to hit me right. but then you know how hard do you how hard are we talking how hard right. do I really get to hit you you know yeah. so Chris Rock is up here with this free swing but right. how how hard do I really get yeah. to hit you here? What's the line between what I can say? What well, can't because at the end of the day, really, you know, and we can say so. We don't want to hear it. And it's, it, it, the reality, I believe, the reality is, and uh, the political correctness kind of puts a wet blanket over all of it. But the reality is, there are still, unfortunately, race issues 
in our in our country. Sure. And I think how much is this is really about the Oscars themselves? You know, right. the mm-hmm. and I. Everybody's talking about it. I don't even like really talking about him. And uh, but you know, the shadow of Dom- Donald Trump hung heavy over yeah, the Oscars last night. He was yeah, referenced, he, or or yep. Donald Trump now as uh, yes, right. as John Oliver yeah. is. You know, but you know that partially because you've got a lot of candidates out there now, and you've got these candidates who are saying some exceptionally racist things. You know, that are very clearly and are being embraced by. Large groups of more, though. I mean, I think everybody thought, hey, this isn't going to last, and yet it has lasted. And you couple that with we've had a lot of – here in Baltimore. I mean, look at the climate in Baltimore with with race and, you know, things that we – that probably, you know, five or six years back be like, okay, I think we're we're probably beyond some of this, and here we are again. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of this is part of what's going on as well. So, you know – we're going to talk about it here. We're going to talk about it there. We're going to keep talking about it. But Chris Rock, you know, I think in a sense he he's, he's there. He's stuck. This is kind of a, a separate point, but it kind of plays into, you know, what happened to him. Did either of you, back at Christmas time, they had on Netflix, I think it was right after we did the show because I, I was like, man, we could have talked about this. They did the Bill Murray Christmas special. Yes, I wanted did to yes. see it. Did you see it? Yeah, we saw it at your house. Oh, that's Christmas. right. You watched yeah. it on Christmas. Watched, yeah. It was great. I was like, uh, I hope they keep it on there so you can watch it every Christmas. Yeah. The best scene in this special is Bill Murray is holed up in this uh, hotel. He's supposed to have this yeah. big Christmas special. All these people are supposed They got a place for George Clooney and the Pope. And, yeah. you know, and no one has showed up. He can't find anybody at all. It's him by himself. Yeah. And he walks by the door and he sees Chris Rock, who's just walking down the street in a giant snowstorm on his way, presumably to go see his family. And he runs out and grabs him. And he's like, Chris, I, you got to do this for me. Yeah. You got to do it. And he, Chris is like, do you, even, you don't even know who I am. <laughs> he's like, you don't know any of my work, do you, Bill? And he's like, oh, come on. So he gets. Chris Rock in there, and there's a duet of them singing Silent Night yeah. together, oh, and Chris gosh. Rock is just going, do you see what I... You know, and he's kind of... <laughs> a, he's caught in the middle of it, and I thought in a certain sense, that microcosmic clip of him and Bill Murray, it's kind of what happened to him last night. <laughs> right. You know, in a way, he's up yeah. there again, and I think when he got to what I assumed to be his material, yeah. the stuff with the Girl Scout cookies, I mean, right. that's when right. it, he sort of that's when yeah. you saw. That's settled up. That was but, such you real know, Chris Rock. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... But but there was still some good, you know, when he was you called out Jada Jada because oh, like yeah. right. you have as much business, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, yeah. you know, you're trying to be equal, yeah. but again, in the perspective, you're Chris Rock, you're the black man standing in front of, right? You know, if if we're to to believe what's being said, a predominantly white group of people that you're speaking right. to, so you're right. you're still in that right. situation. So well, and I think you bring up a good point. I and and my. My thing isn't to say that we don't ever talk about these things. My thing is to say we talk about these things in our sphere of influence where it's going to make an impact, you know. And for for the for the Oscars to to blast these things out publicly, well, what the people don't care, you know. And that's that's my point is that what can I do as somebody who goes and sees a movie? Um, I'm, I'm going to go see movies that, that you put out that are good. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if there's a black person in it. I don't care if there's a white person in it. I don't care if there's a Chinese person in it, a Mexican person. I, I don't care. Put out a movie that's good. Put a character in there that's good. And, and you're going to comment on this. I know you are, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll go see the movie. But when when you're taking two hours of what is supposed to be entertainment – 
in in throwing out an agenda of something that I have no control over that I can't do anything for you you're just now stupid i mean it's it's like all these people who get up there like leonardo DiCaprio at the end when he's talking about oh we all got to get involved in the environment the fact that you're saying that and telling me to do that makes me not want to do that <laughs> how great would it have been if you know earlier in the show they had the the grizzly bear clapping noise. What if a like guy in a polar bear suit had just come out and faux mauled him yeah. at the point when he was talking about how you know these animals are leaving their natural environments? If the polar bear just kind of slammed him three times, that would have been entertaining. Yeah. It would have been push. I mean, it would have been you know you crossed the line, but I would have enjoyed it. Um, yeah, that was a bizarre moment, by the way. The bear. That was just, there, there were a few moments like that last night that were just weird to have, me in those Oscars. Have, did you see the movie The Revenant? Uh, no, haven't the, seen it yet. The, I think really it was there to just sort of deduct from the fact that the bear sequence in that movie where he is mauled by the bear is so overpowering. Wow. The whole movie, I think, is so physical yeah. that it overpowers. I think when I came on, I think it was actually cut from the, the shows behind the scenes, of course. But I think when I came in here, I had just seen the movie. Yeah. And I was saying, he goes, oh, you know, it's really good. It's really intense. And then by the time, you know, got around seeing it a second time, it kind of reflected on it. It's not that the movie itself is that good. Mm-hmm. It's just so technically well done. And wow. it's so intense yeah. that you have this kind of, I wouldn't even call it an emotional reaction. You just have a very physical reaction right. to yes. it. You are watching what looks to me like, you know, DiCaprio's like, the only way to win an Oscar is, you know, drench myself in meat and let the bear <laughs> maul me. You know, I'm like, get some good reconstructive yeah. surgery. It's sagging a little on the lip there, but you could otherwise. Yeah. That, um... The, so the bear thing was there, but you're right, and the, but that's kind of always been the problem or the conundrum of the Oscars is it's one of two things. It is historically for probably eighty seven years been a bunch of people, rich and you know mostly white and people, white, predominantly, had, yeah, no patting doubt. themselves on the back. Yeah. Last night you had a couple of nominate nominal put them out there, chosen by the white guy, presumably you know like Bill Murray ushering him in. Come on, you're as right. we got. Yeah. Who are up there to, okay, we're going to take a minute from the back padding to kind of chide us a little bit. Yeah. J- just a little bit. And so it, you're just watching something that is really, again, it's an insider thing, unless you're really going to focus on the movies. And I've always wondered why they don't play that up more, this kind of sell. And, and the year that Ellen did it, I thought there was a little, that was a little bit better because there's a little bit more playing up. You know, this is kind of a party. We're all here yeah, together. We're sure. doing this kind of thing. And, right. you know, the fact that you're watching everyone get Girl Scout cookies and you can't have any. Like, that's kind of another right. a perfect capsulation right. of what goes on with the Oscars. But to speak to your point where you're saying about the good characters, it starts to highlight some other issues with the mm. – I mean, there is a legitimate question. And I think this might have uh, – we were talking before what might have cost yeah. Sylvester Stallone a potential supporting Oscar because I, I thought he was great in Creed. Mm. But – we were talking about the fact that between the, the winner of the award was Mark Rylance and Bridge of Spies, who was very, very good. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. if you remove Mark Rylance from Bridge of Spies, it is not nearly as strong a picture. I mean, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks is great. The production is great. Spielberg's doing a great job. But he's kind of the heart, the emotional and even kind of moral heart of the story. He you is. Know? And – when you and it's not just the character, but the way he portrays the character. If you remove him, you lose the movie. If you remove Stallone from Creed, you lose the Rocky element, and it's not quite you don't it's not quite a Rocky picture the same way that it is with him there. And I love him there and he adds a lot to it. But 
the fact that Creed can still stand alone without Rocky is because I believe the work of Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, yeah. both African Americans, both are. And if the movie's strong enough without Stallone, where's the movie? Why isn't it there? I mean, and you know, you can say, well, it's a sequel. It's another one in a long line of movies, but it's really a reimagining. It's written by Coogler. It's written, you know, and and directed. And there's a lot of of work that's gone into it. And in my mind, you've got Mad Max, which is a fourth movie, which I also love. But these are two examples of a movie made for the populace, but that are very good. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, when they're getting all kinds of critical acclaim, the same two guys, uh, Coogler and uh, Michael B. Jordan, they're getting the same acclaim for the movie uh, Fruitvale Station. About, yeah, Fruitvale yeah. Station, which is specifically about race. And that's one of the comments is saying, well, you know, African-American movies are only nominated when they're about race or they continue to – to drum up the race uh, conversation. And here's Creed, a movie that is a – it does justice to the Rocky story. Mm-hmm. It, But it is still a story about this African-American man. It's got a lot of positive elements. It tells you know an African-American story right. at the same time that it is bringing in a really good boxing picture. It's exciting. It's entertaining to watch. It furthers Rocky's story. It makes him a more interesting character. Mm-hmm. And – I thought it was absolutely of those not of those eight movies that were there. I think it was absolutely worthy to be in that contention. And there's also the fact that we could have ten nominees technically, mm-hmm. but they the the Oscars they always go with this prestige thing. Well, we used to have five, and if we only have five, that makes it a more vaunted thing. So, but they could have ten. So when people look at eight nominations and they see something like Creed missing, well, right. you could have right. you could have gone. Yeah. And you could have put them in. It, it wasn't like we reached the end of our our, our limit. So right. yeah. that, I think that brings up a question. Well, yeah. well, you know what happened, dudes, with uh, with Michael B. Jordan. Uh, he couldn't get the stink off Fantastic Four. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking about that. Yeah. The universe course corrected a little <laughs> bit on that. Like, uh, I'm sorry, dude. Not this year. You can't not get this year. you can't get a Razzie <laughs> and an Oscar. Oh, yeah, you can't. Not in the same year. Ooh. Which is amazing because that guy is talented. I mean, I just think he's a very well. Uh, we watched him. Uh, Lisa and I did on a show, uh, uh, Parenthood. Have you ever saw yeah, that show? Yeah, yeah. And he was a great character on that for a season or two. He was the boyfriend of the oldest mm-hmm. daughter and I thought man this this guy can act he just has a a very um I don't know you, you know how Denzel um kind of had this uh I don't know this certain charisma mm-hmm. about him um and uh you know of course look at me picking another black actor uh but you know uh, I I I can't deny it that there is a uh a connection to the type of role I could see him doing and, uh, yeah, he was great in Creed. I was a little surprised uh, just because it was such a strong movie. It was well-reviewed, right? I mean, that tended to get 90% plus consensus on all the critics I've seen that it didn't get the uh, nod. But uh, <clears throat> dying to talk about some of these movies, fellas, too. Yeah. So uh, Oh, that's right. It was a movie, right, yeah. <laughs> a movie <laughs> ceremony. That's all right. We can talk about race and movies and yeah. just movies. That's it's good. right. Um, so Nathan, your take, um, the, the eight movies that were, um, nominated for best picture, um, what did you, what did you think of them? And you and I were talking about this, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting about the eight movies, if you lay everything else aside, there are many years where they have the nominations and 
It was a little easier when there were like five nominations. You know, you'd be like, right. oh, okay, five solid movies. I don't think that was always the case either. When they went to 10 in 2009, okay. it did one thing of opening up the diversity, but also opening up the holes in that potential thing because yes. you suddenly had kinds of movies that weren't typically getting nominated, nominated. In 2009, you had, I, I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but you had district, movies like District 9 and Avatar yeah, and Up right, right. and popular, really popular, but successful. Uh, and it took a people a year to like turn on Avatar, but you know, at a certain point, at the time when it came out, everybody was talking right. about it and they were excited about it. And you know, at the end of the day, Hurt Locker, which is still kind of the right. arty choice of those movies, is the one that wins. But they got to have their art house in there with movies like An Education, and uh, they had Up in the Air, and then they had movies like uh, again Up and, and right. things like that yes. that were crowd pleasing movies and they were there in the main best picture race and that's been true for the last few years uh with this slate of movies i have to say i thought it was good that they i thought all of them were at some level at least good there were some i don't know i would have put in that race with some of the others some of them were better than others Mm -hmm. um but as i was mentioning you know i think the fact that we did have the there were movies in there that had strong female leads that were primarily, mm-hmm. you know, female stories, uh, movies like Room, movies like Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, which are also very different from one another. Right. And then to have a movie like Mad Max Fury right. Road, which yeah. is, again, the fourth movie, a great – it is really just an uncompromising action picture. You know, it's big. It's visual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the few movies that really stuck with me. I love to see it there. I would have loved to see it win. Huh. And I think the fact that the way the Oscars was structured was seeing it win so many technical awards – created the feeling could usually it, the problem been, i have yeah. with the oscars is i'm about done halfway through i'm like i know who's gonna win right i kind of didn't i yeah, was right. sitting there thinking you know it, it looks like it was down the spotlight big short and the revenant at the start of the night and then they give you this feeling that that uh mad max is coming up right. and another thing i love that happened in 2003 when lord of the rings won when lord of the rings was nominated and it started to win all those awards you got to see some really kind of strange characters got the new zealand kind of people that were winning all the sound mixing awards it was kind of neat to see them those are some of the most boring awards to sit through but when these kind of characters were kind of coming out you know you this guy's mixing sound you like to imagine he's sitting in the outback somewhere you know (laughs) with like a didgeridoo and a whip and hitting a kangaroo and making peter jackson's uh minions but but if you if you listen to some of the yeah like in 2003 the looks on like clint eastwood and jude law's faces when the entire continent of new zealand got up on stage (laughs) to get that award and i don't even know if, if uh you know, I don't think Peter Jackson was even wearing shoes when he went up. Right. And, you know, it was just a very – it was like, this is not Hollywood. Yeah. And it was neat to see those those people, yeah. you know. Um, so the movies, I thought they were all very good. I, I was glad to see Spotlight win the award. I think if you want to get down to it from my perspective, Spotlight was probably the best movie on the list. My yeah. favorite movie was Mad Max. Spotlight is the kind of movie that would typically be kind of prestige picture. Did either of you guys see it? I yeah. did, and I, you know it's interesting, Nathan. My, my take on Spotlight, I enjoyed it. If you, it sound, almost sounds strange to say you enjoy that movie in light right. of the subject matter, and you know exposing the the systemic mm-hmm. abuse that was going on in the Roman Catholic Church, and it was uh, it was you know I've referenced it in a sermon recently, yep. and. The moment I referenced it, I thought, yeah, well, I really don't want to appear as if I'm Catholic bashing, targeting, uh, even though it is a, a movie and, a, and even more importantly, an actual global event right. uh, that Protestant evangelicals have had our share of scandals as well, uh, no doubt. But I thought that Spotlight, since that's the one that's won, uh, that won, um, Lisa and I watched it about two weeks ago, 
um, very, very good, uh, almost restrained. I don't know if you felt that, Nathan. I, I took at it like they could have gone still within Oscar caliber strata, but a little more sensational at that movie. That movie had such a muted tone. I felt like they had this stallion that they were riding because it's, I mean, really what they're exposing. When you start realizing the number of cases, mm-hmm. the number of priests, and, and the, the drama that went along with, you basically got the city of Boston, at least the way it's portrayed, complicit in suppressing this. I'm like, this is a huge story. But it's stuck to this very um, methodic uh, just what you would picture an investigative journalistic team doing. Mm-hmm. We're going to pursue the story to the end. I almost felt like that's what the movie did, um, and, and it, it was it it was really good. I I agree, and I think that that to me is what separated it from being the kind of Oscar bait sort of movie. There yeah. is no big speech by Michael Keaton. I agree. There is no big moment where Rachel McAdams has a breakdown or something. Some of the best scenes to go back to the thing about the Catholic bashing yeah. is. They're actually – I thought the movie was very even-handed about even exploring what happens when things happen within the faith you're a part of. Yeah. So many people will reject something, and yet you have characters in that movie really questioning that. Yeah. You have characters saying, you know what? I grew up in this. It could have been you. It could have been me. Yeah. But then what happens to the faith as I go forward? How do I still reconcile this yeah. with – with God and with the church as a whole, is this really the church as a whole? That the movie had those conversations in a realistic, but as you pointed out, almost methodical. It's almost to say, you know, talking about did you enjoy a movie like this? Yeah. I think that was one of the good things about the movie. It allows you to enjoy it sort of for the right reasons. It it does create right. an almost righteous tone, but not in a in a self congratulatory way. Yeah. Where you have it's a it's a love letter to journalism, the kind of journalism that nobody really does anymore. Yeah. Where there's a purpose and a and a reason for doing it that, you know, journalism in the right hand, the right tool could actually change somebody's life for the better or change a heal help heal a city. Yeah. That's not something we really think much about anymore. I mean No, no. It was it was almost it's interesting too because it's set what in two thousand and two. Yeah, which yeah. isn't that long ago. Not that long ago. But did you notice there's one scene in the movie I I, I don't well, everything in a movie is intentional, but it it grabbed me. They're they're showing the parking lot of the Boston Globe, and you see um, a billboard for AOL. And I thought, oh, I remember that phase. Remember when AOL was like a big thing? Oh yeah. And I don't know if that was intentional, but I kept thinking like the 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 concept of the newspaper. Look, I've never been a big newspaper reader. I get almost all of my news online, right. not even from TV anymore. I've got my Apple News feed, which gets it from, you know, CNN and Fox and Washington Post and um, everything. So, in some sense, I almost wondered there how 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 many more opportunities will there be for this crack investigative journalist team to do this um, today? Everybody with a blog can sort of do their own thing. So it was it was almost a period piece, even though it's recent. You know, yeah, and it really kind of was because you see, and then. That the movie stuck to that. There are no chase scenes. No. But when the suspense comes, it's watching people go through the investigative method to do yes. research. When's the last time you saw a movie where people, you know, they're going to the archives to do the research? <laughs> right. they're, they're sitting down and interviewing um, these people. It was really and – and a, and a great cast used in a great way. Yeah. And I love that they even – um, before this a little bit, we were, we were having an impromptu conversation about Stephen King, but Jamie Sheridan, who played Randall Flagg right. oh, yes, in the TV right. version of The Stand, comes in as a character, you know, and 
And everybody in this movie, even to the victims, they all have a point and a purpose. And I felt that it avoided being the important movie to be a really good movie in the way All the President's Men is a is a yeah. great movie. Great, great. And I think that yeah. I I mean, from the outside it looks to me like Mad Max is the one that's gonna maybe be around for a while and that people will watch and watch mm-hmm. and enjoy outside of the this is a mm-hmm. an Oscar movie. I think Spotlight has that potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think people are going to see it. Some people are going to maybe find it a little bit muted, but I thought it was really good. It surprised me. And you know, something it did that I was impressed with, many movies, I one of my it's not a pet peeve, but it is something particularly since I've had children night that I struggle with is I have a hard time with movies when they get into the topic of child abuse. Mm-hmm. Even when it is worthy, uh when it is for the purpose of showing the kind of um that it is destructive mm-hmm. the hurt that it causes and when the person approaches it from the perspective I'm really trying to make sure this doesn't happen again sometimes the movies will be so explicit with the details of it yeah. because they're thinking the only way I can get you to feel this right. is to see what happened that often takes me out of the movie just because from a mean. personal yeah. perspective mm-hmm. it's so hard for me to take yeah. right. and it not me burying my head in the sand but it's just becomes an you know right. this movie allows you to feel that outrage to feel that mm-hmm. righteous anger if you will through just simply the numbers they start to cite I agree. instead of showing the you know we take it that this is a horrible crime they start to show you how many people are involved how yeah. much of it was covered up that's where you feel your blood boil yeah, and they right. do all that in like you said in a very restrained right. in a restrained way yeah. yeah it was um it was interesting I, and and the two or three times they showed the human piece of it even that was fairly muted. I mean, I mean, detailed enough. But um, I remember the one guy, and this doesn't really give too much away, who uh, is sort of your typical Southie Boston tough guy, and he agrees finally it, as he's talking to Mark Ruffalo's character too. You, you, you can use my name, and as he's telling the story, man, it makes me choke up thinking of it. But the the he's a kid, and the priest is driving him to get ice cream. And, of course, the priest makes a, a move towards him, and he just says, uh, you know what, I I just remember the ice cream melting down my arm. And he says, and I, I never even ate it. Something about that detail, mm. wow. It, again, tells you what happened without all of the right. really disturbing details, but leaves a powerful impact on you. And, uh, yeah, if, if, I think, Nathan, there were only two or three scenes that I remember that were – that human where they talk to the actual victims. Yeah, and it, but it was so well written. There, yes. There's a line in there where the guy, uh, one of the guys who's clearly very messed up by it, he's, you know, he's not the tough guy, he's clearly taken a toll in his life, oh, and yeah, he says, yeah. you know, I was this kid, and I was, you know, I loved being the altar boy. I loved these things. And then I was in this situation, and how do you say no to God? Yes, like, yes. To, to, you know, to kind of capture that, the real exploitation that's going on there. You know, oh. that's where you're able to, because the movie does delve into the spiritual aspect of it. When you start to see some of these people, Rachel McAdams family, who is very strongly Catholic, yes. like, and they can't separate rooting this out. But then you have some of these characters who are making the point that, you know what, this is, you know, this is not what God would want. You right. know, you don't want that, that this rot being rooted up and being exposed you're not being anti-church here, you right. know. No. And again, it, a, a subtle movie that you kind of finish, you think that was pretty good. And then, as like a second look at it, you're like, you know, yeah. I think it, 
I think there's really something to it, and I was glad to see it win because I feel like it is a movie that might have some staying staying power. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Bridge of Spies. Talk about that one for a little bit. Um, I really liked Bridge of Spies, mm-hmm. and I'm not. Uh, you know, I really like Spielberg's work overall, mm-hmm. but I think Spielberg is is somebody who can sometimes kind of coast on the reputation or, or will make a, <laughs> yeah. a prestige sort of Steven Spielberg, that he is Steven yeah. Spielberg. Not yeah. every Steven Spielberg movie. I, 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 I love that he works a lot and he makes a lot of movies, right. but even some of the bigger prestige movies like Lincoln, I mean, Daniel day Lewis was, was great in Lincoln. I mean, sure. he was terrific. The movie was well made. It was based off a book that was actually interesting because it was about Lincoln's more like his political savvy than anything else. And I don't know how you guys felt, but Lincoln to me wasn't a movie that really hit hit me very hard. I agree. Hard. Mm-hmm. I agree. Actually, um, we watched Lincoln, and I felt the same way. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis is one of my. I mean, it's not not it's not unique. I mean, he's a great actor, um, but apart from his portrayal, parts of it were very. Uh, I don't know. Just they they weren't compelling for us. I was bored for large portions of that movie. I thought, Man, this is about Lincoln, and I felt like I was supposed to really love it because it's Lincoln, but. Um, yeah, I, I thought Bridge of Spies was a really good – I thought it got better and better as it went on. I mean, I do think it's a kind of movie – Tom Hanks and uh, what, what Mark Rylance, is that who yeah. stole mm-hmm. it from Stallone? Um, it's hard to picture that movie without those two. Like if you substitute actor X and actor Y in those spots, uh, I don't know. I mean, there could be some tremendous actors, but they, they carried it. Nobody else to me really stood out in that movie as much. Uh, those two had, as the nucleus made it work, but um, yeah, I thought it was really uh, uh, well written. I mean, I, I thought just getting that little glimpse of uh, you know Cold War Russia, mm-hmm. the wall going up literally goes up in the film between East and West uh, was interesting. Did you did you see it, Nathan? No, not yet. Okay. Borrowed yeah. it from Nathan. Well, so. I gave Good. him a lot of homework yeah. here. He's yeah. got all the I was I best say, pictures. Yeah. And now, hold on, brother. He, he's got a lot. He, I've learned a lot in recent weeks. He hasn't read, uh, read a Stephen King novel. <laughs> he has yet to re- resume Breaking Bad. Nathan, uh, I would just urge you, brother, do all you can to make your calling an election sure. That's right. Uh, so if you, could, <laughs> if you could jump on those quickly. Here, here, here's, my, here's my deal to our listeners. Yeah. When I'm on here full time, I will start doing all of that hey, stuff. Hey, there you go. Kahint, kahint. That's right. Uh, very good. Um, so um, talk about the uh, animated category for a second. Um, Inside Out. Thoughts on that. Did you see that one, Greg? I didn't see Inside Out. You didn't see that? Nathan? My kids have seen it either. Um, so the the animated category is an interesting one because technically a movie could still be nominated in the animated category and in the best picture. Right. right. So it, it up was in oh, 2009. Yeah. There is kind of a, a a question sometimes like do we real the animated category came around in 2001. Uh, I think when Shrek and there there was only three to begin with. It was like Shrek and like Monsters Inc. and they're like let's grab another one. They got like Jimmy Neutron or something, <laughs> you know. So it was just whatever whatever other animated movie was released yeah. that year, but. This animated category, it's kind of nice because it does allow them to nominate other movies that are, you know, interesting and maybe animated films that would kind of gone under the radar. And there were a couple of, of good ones on there. But Inside Out does feel to me like a movie. It, it was nominated for original screenplay. It felt like it very well could have been another nominee in that list of wow. eight. And I think, you know... It becomes this kind of joke because Pixar's nominated almost every single time, right. and Pixar wins most of the time. And uh, but I do believe you know they did 
they did deserve the win. I thought it was kind of... I even enjoyed the speech that came with it because I think Inside Out is a movie... Uh, it really made me kind of remember. It made me actually feel a little like anxious watching it. I took my son, who's you know three, to see, it, and he enjoyed it for other reasons, right? And the imagination train and all. But you know, the movie deals with a, a, a little girl who is kind of just coming into her right. teenage years, or just mm-hmm. you know adolescence, and uh, and all the kind of minefield that it is, and just sure. seeing enough of that in the movie to remind me of of my own adolescence. And right. it was like, wow, this was that's not a fun time, you know. And I feel like it's the kind of movie that could legitimately be useful to a young sure. kid who's trying to understand feelings mm-hmm. and things like that. And not in a super educational way, but in a really right. heartfelt way. I think in a lot of ways it's one of Pixar's better movies, sure. even though it's probably not – most people coming out of it I don't think really thought that. They yeah. they admitted it was very imaginative. It was very right. creative. There, There's a character in the movie that is uh, Bing Bong, who is like her right. imaginary friend, and she has since shelved him in the uh, halls of her mind, and he's just running around like a almost like a Ronin, like a masterless right. samurai who is still <laughs> dedicated to her. He wants to to, right. to cheer her up, but there's nothing he can do because she doesn't believe in him anymore. Right. But he's behind the scenes doing all he can to like, yeah. you know, to help her. Yeah. Um, Stuff like that. It was a great movie. Yeah. The, but um, the nice thing about the MA category and a few other categories, particularly like foreign film pictures, uh-huh. there's a lot of movies in there. If the One of the cool things about the Academy, and I think that various uh, awards like this, is to be able to shine lights on movies that you maybe haven't seen before mm-hmm. or aren't aware of, which is why the diversity thing is something that should be more prominent in something like the Oscars. Who cares about the five or ten movies? You know, we do want to see a movie that we know. Sure. But it isn't it nice to have some movies that we haven't heard of. Yeah. Um, in the foreign language, the movie that won, Son of Saul, is like a punch to the guts. I mean, it is mm. a movie – it was probably one of the best movies we saw last year, but it's devastating to watch. Mm. Uh, wow. It's a movie takes place – it's one. It's another movie about uh, you know during the Holocaust, during World War II, but it's in such a different intimate way than you've seen before. It deals with a guy who is who has ended up being complicit with the whole – uh, extermination process. He's actually the guy who's throwing the bodies in the incinerator, hmm. and uh, he comes across the body of a young boy, and cannot, you know, for various reasons I won't go into. It, he can't bring himself to do it, and he's the most of the movie is him trying to find a proper proper burial for this dead kid. Yep. And what goes on in that movie and the actor and the way it's done, it's a really strong movie. That may be a movie that's not for everyone that not everyone wants to see, but it's a it's a great movie, and it's a movie I don't think many people will be aware of without. You know, some of this, like these awards that kind of shine light. So if you ever want to go down these categories, look for the, you know. We're good. Okay. (laughs) If you ever want to go into those areas where uh, some of these categories, animated categories, some of the other movies in there. There's a movie I think called The Boy Meets uh, a Boy in the World or something like that, which is a really interesting animated movie that might be a little harder to find. Last year, there's a... There was an Irish uh, animated film called Song of the Sea that was nominated. Mm-hmm. That would be a great one if you're looking for like a, you know, St. Patrick's Day coming mm-hmm. up movie to watch with your kids. Interesting. So yeah, the animated categories I'm always interested in, but I there's also part of me wonders: Do we really need this little ghetto over here where we put the animated movies yeah. or the foreign movies? Right. I know in 2000, you know, we we justified not giving Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon the Oscar, and we gave it to Gladiator because Crouching Tiger could win its own foreign picture award. Yeah, you know, which is yeah. Hey, wanted to ask you about Room. Uh, just saw that one. You know, our goal was to see. By the way, why can't they time this? Where two weeks before the Oscars, 
This would be a great idea to me. I feel like they used to do this. They just put all of the nominated films in the theater so you could see them. But so many of them we couldn't find. Or you go to iTunes and, oh, this one's early release. You can buy it for $19 and <laughs> you can't rent it for another two weeks. I'm like, oh, you know, because so, so we saw about half. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we saw uh, Room, obviously, which is the one I wanted to ask about. But um, that's just me venting. Um, they sometimes do. I know they, I think some theaters do it. I don't know if they did this year. Um, I had already seen most of them, but the, I know that last year they would sometimes do the week bef- weekend before like a package you go to the theater and could actually watch like all of them. Yeah. But in these days of on demand, you almost wonder why they couldn't have a package where I know here's right. the you know you rent them all for the weekend or something. Yeah. And at a discounted rate, um, I know that a lot of the theaters, uh, the Charles and a few others, will do. They uh, the theaters will show the Oscar shorts, which is kind of neat because most of the time you don't oh, get a yeah. chance to see those like see the animated shorts mm-hmm. and uh, and just to put a plug in for one of them there's a, a short called the world of tomorrow yeah. that they that was nominated and people are probably looking at thinking why was that nominated it's a little stick man running across don hertzfeld it's on netflix you go watch it and you'll know why it's nominated wow. and you'll laugh for about okay. the first the whole 20 minutes and you'll come out thinking that was there were a lot of weird ideas in that movie very very cool so um a couple questions about room uh nathan number one uh the 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 woman who brie larson yes what else has she done Brie Larson has done a couple of different movies. Some of them are smaller. Uh, okay. She did a one that was nominated a few years ago called uh, – she was a co-star in The Spectacular Now, which was a kind of teenage film that was the one that um, – it, it kind of came to promise, I think, 2013. It was the movie that uh, – I'm trying to think of the actress who uh, – she's now doing all the Divergent. Uh, Shailene. Oh, now yeah, she, yeah. oh right. I know her – it was her and the other uh, actor uh, who was in Whiplash with J.K. Simmons, um, yeah, yeah, and in Fantastic Four, <laughs> right, right. But the she was in that movie, but she was in a smaller movie, which I again I believe is on YouTube, which I really recommend. It was called Short Term Twelve. Okay, it was a very small indie movie. Um, she was working at a home for foster kids, and the movie is really just about that. She and her boyfriend. She's younger. She kind of came up through the system herself, and. Again, seems like the kind of thing that wants to be an Oscar Beatty kind of movie, but it's a really good, strong movie, and it really revolves around her performance. If you watch that movie, you really get an idea of why they would have kind of targeted her for yeah, this movie. Yeah, because that's I thought. Huh. I mean, she was sensational in it, and I was actually very happy to see her get the nod. And I, um, it, it, again, knew nothing about her. It was it was kind of nice to see a movie where you're like, well, I don't know who this is. Did you notice, by the way, William H. Macy is in that movie for all of 30 seconds? Well, and it's funny because they kind of like when they are sending you screeners, they sort of have a list of all the people that they want you to consider yeah. the best supporting actor. And William H. Macy's name is on this. And I'm thinking, this is really? Wow. Because he did. It felt like some of the scenes had been cut or something. It, right? it, it, it must have been the case because I think it's the – I don't want to give it away, but there's one scene where he enters emotional for obvious reasons in light of the film. And I feel like I didn't see him after that. And you didn't. I yeah. He didn't so, come back into the story okay. at all. That was, that was, um, that was interesting. But um, I took it, and again, I'm trying not to give away the plot here because it is so new. Do you know what I mean by this? This is how I saw it. I saw it. You know, it's really like two movies. There's the first half where the narrative is what it is by definition in light of where they are. Then there's the second half, and they were both excellent. I mean, I don't mean two separate movies as if they weren't related. Um, there was a huge pivot. 
but it's almost like it's almost like uh, Lisa and I were watching and said the first half of the movie with a few other scenes could have been its own movie, um, and then the second half could have been its own movie if uh, just the first half was referenced in five minutes. I'm just saying I thought they did a masterful job with both um, to combine this incredibly moving, impactful story uh, with two major segments. I don't know. That's how I took it. Do you, do you see why I'm viewing it like that? No, I, I agree. Yeah. And, um, and and without giving a lot of it away, because I think it is a movie that's better if you kind of walk into it. Yeah. But I really liked the movie a lot. I thought it was very good. But that dichotomy that you're talking about actually, to me, was kind of one of the slight issues I had with it. The first half of the movie really could, as you said, uh, Greg, be its own film. Yeah. And it really is almost like just a two-hander between Brie Larson and this young boy, and Jacob Tremblay, boy, yeah. the, the, the young actor. And it's really good because of what's going on. It's also very harrowing. Right. And – but under that, and this was referenced by the actual author of this story, and it's probably not enough. It's probably because if you watch the trailers, you're going to get this. It's probably not enough to give away that you've got this young woman and a young child who are in cap- a captivity sure. situation. Sure. And the question is, are they going to get out of that? And she, because she doesn't really hold out much hope for that, she is trying to raise this child in such a way that he is protected as best as she can protect sure. him. And that's all I think you know we can really say about that. Yeah. But the author who wrote it didn't base it off of real life situations where you hear about someone being abducted and sort of held against their will for yep. years and years and years. But she doesn't base it off of any one specific event, mm. and she almost develops by her own definition that she's almost felt like she was exploring almost like a sci-fi idea in the sense of. You've seen the movies where someone is stuck in a room or in a place that they don't know where they are, and the world outside is possibly a myth or possibly something that they've never met or encountered right. before. could be totally alien. So at some point, there will be a point where the person emerges from this world, and they will be encountering something that, to their sensibilities, is completely something they never imagined. Yes. And when we get to that second half of the movie yeah. where that potential is met, Kind of let me down a little bit because I, 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 I could see that I didn't like I that. didn't really quite get that like this person being exposed to a world they had never ever ever seen before right and the second half of the movie I, I I'm doing it a great disservice by saying it felt like the kind of thing you'd see like a Lifetime or an A and E kind of movie it's done much better than that but Agreed. that's essentially what you're getting you're getting a lot of the melodrama you might expect I believe in the second half. And while the movie was excellent, it kind of left me, you know, it's the movie that's good and you can see the masterpiece kind of sitting on the horizon right. to, to me. Right. But you know, Brie yeah. Larson was so good all the way through that oh. you, she kind of carries you beyond that. You almost, not that you don't care, yeah. but you're carried along. Right. Yeah. To, to me, when you don't know an actress like that, like I didn't, and she's that good, it's really good. Because I'm thinking, I, I, I'm not investing, like again, if I, if I go to see a movie that has... Uh, Tom Hanks in it, Denzel right. Washington. I know to expect this guy to me is a tour de force and is gonna is gonna be able to carry the weight of the movie on his own shoulders. I don't know this woman from Adam. I kept asking Lisa. To me, she looks like the chick in. Uh, can I say chick? She looks like the lady in. Um, That's not very diverse. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> she looks like the young uh, the young Miss in. Um, 
Oh, come on. She's been in the two major uh, TV shows. She's, she was the, the girl in Prison Break, The Love Interest, and The Girl in The Walking Dead. Um, oh, yeah. Um, who is that actress? Uh, oh, Sarah somebody. Sarah, is, is it Callie's? Is that her name? Our listeners might know. She Okay, she's Rick's wife in The Walking Dead. Yes. And she is the doctor. I can in see the, that. I don't yeah. know. She looked similar to me, and I thought, no, it's not her. So... And then, of course, I don't know the kid. Obviously, he's brand new to the scene. I thought, this was really, really good. Then the one guy you do know, William H. Macy, is there for 30 seconds. Well, Joan Allen yeah. uh, uh, comes in uh, later. Got to ask about this. Just this is a movie question in general. Um, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Are you hearing anything about that? You know, it, we had talked, we saw the yeah. trailer last night. And so, it's funny because as I was explaining this, like, you know, the thing I was just saying about the sci-fi in the yeah. room. The Cloverfield thing popped what, into my what, head. That's yeah. why it popped into mine. I thought, um, yeah, what's out there? Starring John Goodman or yeah. Russell Crowe or whoever, whoever is in that movie. Um, fat, fat Damon. <laughs> no, that's well, that's uh, yeah. We yeah. were commenting earlier. That, right. You know, based on the Oscars, Russell Crowe looks like he's aging gracefully into John Goodman. <laughs> um, but somebody said that about me too recently. <laughs> yeah. We we should all be so lucky. Right. Really, um, I love John Goodman, but he this uh, movie. It's another case where Abrams like. I don't think anyone even knew or really had this thing on their radar at all right. until a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, and then, boom, it's coming out in a couple months. Like, know. you know, in January, the trailer comes out, and then it's like two months away. It's kind of fun. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I've heard and I've read that the movie, I don't think it'll go into production, but there was a script banging around for a while that the basic elements were these people trapped in this uh, bunker. Yep. And possibly i think the original script may have had something a little more mundane okay. but obviously at some point in some way it has been connected to cloverfield, to the cloverfield there universe. the trailer has the growling and there's clearly the implication that there may be monsters outside hopefully yeah. it's not the village elders right. but you know <laughs> that this kind of thing uh it looks it looks interesting it and does. and what's interesting to me is that it's 10 Cloverfield Lane. They're tying it to Cloverfield, which was basically the found footage on the ground level Godzilla kind yes. of movie. And it's not found footage. It's a totally different kind of movie. Yes. I kind of like that feel. You're, it's, it may not be great, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're like saying this is going to be a seminal movie, but it's a fun movie. You don't know much about I it. Agree. It's mm-hmm. nice to be able to go into those sorts yeah, of movies. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I, I read an article as well recently where Abrams was commenting on it that um, the way he put it, it's, it's rather interpretive, but... It's it's not the sequel. It, it, it's almost like the Batman language. It's not the sequel people were asking for, but it's the sequel people need. Um, it, which is his way of saying it, it really wasn't or isn't a sequel. Um, but they felt that the pathos of the movie and the general universe taps into Cloverfield so well. Uh, so notice they didn't call it Cloverfield 2 because it's right. not Cloverfield 2. It's... But they put a little Cloverfield in it, 10 Cloverfield. Right. But I loved Cloverfield. I don't know if you did. Did you guys both see it? I did see it. Yes. I remember seeing it theaters. I did enjoy it. Yeah. And I think um, – I just like giant monster movies. I'll be honest. Yeah, like right, if there's a right. weakness area for me, like you know, you have that movie. It's like what can we throw at Nathan's going to like? doesn't matter what we do with it. Giant monsters, right. typically. Yeah. I was, I, you know, but then you know there was uh, what was the Pacific Rim? I, yeah. was, I was a little bit bored by that one. So I apparently, agree. I apparently, agree. not everything you do with giant monsters. Cloverfield was an interesting movie because again, it wasn't a giant. It was a kind of one shot off. We're going to do this, and there wasn't again the need that it had to be super great. It was just kind of a fun experience. I agree. I don't know how many times I've revisited it, um, 
But while you were watching it, it was engaging, and 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 particularly nothing to do with the giant monster, but the scene where they go through that like subway tunnel or something, yeah. and those things, and T.J. Miller, who you know is the guy that we were, we were talking about earlier, who's in Deadpool, the guy across the bar, and he right. does a lot of uh, voice acting and cartoons and stuff. You know, we don't see him at all, but he's the guy holding the camera, and he's just walking through the dark at that one yeah. point. He's like, you know, it'd be crazy if a burning hobo ran out of the dark. You know, it's all this weird <laughs> yeah. kind of. Uh, but again, it was a movie that I think you give it a lot of leeway because this is something I didn't. People I speculate agree. for months what that movie yeah. was going to be. They went into the theater and they watched it, and I walked out. I was a fun little monster movie, the kind of movie I would have watched as a as a kid yeah. from a different that, perspective. That's what these episodes that we're releasing tonight, Nathan, are. That's right. <laughs> Two fun bonus that's episodes. Right. We're not putting them out as uh, you know the most serious theological minded episodes right. we've done, but it's uh, it's fun. But uh, it's interesting. I'll tie the two episodes together. Now, will I ever get a legitimate episode where, you know, or am I always going to be the bonus content? It ain't as good as it needs to be. I've got an idea, but I'll I'll, I'll tease it now. But I I could see one, Nathan, where you could get the. I could graduate to the, the, you know, (laughs) the upper echelon of this podcast. It's not just a freebie. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But the the scene that you just bonus uh, DVD disc in the yeah. Blu-ray, <laughs> yeah, the ex- what did you just give to your you know, your neighbor? Uh, the scene that you mentioned in Cloverfield reminds me in the book The Stand by Stephen King. I don't know if you remember uh, in the the no, TV this the version, unabridged did, version or the, uh, the <laughs> this would be the version. full unabridged version. The the characters are walking through the Lincoln Tunnel after the virus is hit. It was terrifying. I remember yes. when I read that. The way he describes walking through the Lincoln Tunnel, how long in the pitch black darkness, and uh, I because it isn't Nick involved in this, who is it was deaf. Yes, so that's he right. can't hear on top of it. Exactly, and he's with this girl who is having second thoughts about being with him at all. Yes. You know, and they're going. Yeah, yeah. It was just a tremendous scene of tension, and it had a foreboding feel. And uh, it's it's hard to pull that off in a movie. But the scene you described uh, there in Cloverfield is is interesting. You know, the the sort of walking through in the pitch black darkness. I love that kind of stuff. Just had to say it because it was fun. There you go. Uh, we are unfortunately running out of time. Um, I know we could sit here, particularly with movies, and just oh, riff on goodness. movies forever. And uh, Nathan, always such a pleasure to have you on. And um, you know, we'd love to have you back again and again and again and again. Absolutely, so, absolutely. And if Nathan, you ever. You know, want to give me and Mr. Bell here some of those advanced screening tickets. We'll do it. <laughs> you solicit to, right on to, the – you're going to get a call from your friend there in a minute. <laughs> We're going to do it to serve you. We want you to have time with your family. We're willing to take it from our families and go see Captain America Civil War. Uh, Batman. We're willing to serve you. Just I'll just let you know when the Martian 2, the yeah. devil's playground, comes out. <laughs> The red planet. Oh, Damon, God. you all to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Guys, we're going to go ahead and sign off now. We just rocked the Casbah. Hollywood style. These go to 11.